It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. It takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. This Mother's Day, Duluth Trading Co. can help you give her something that keeps up. Whether you prefer to shop online or in-store, Duluth has a motherload of gear, goods, and gifts to keep her comfortable and capable, no matter what needs doing. With Duluth's problem-solving details and legendary durability to boot, you'll finally be mom's favorite again. Check out DuluthTrading.com for all your Mother's Day gifting needs. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the podcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. My name is Fergus Collins and I'm the host of the podcast. So this is season nine, our homage to spring across Britain as we attempt to visit 12 different habitats to record the wild residents and some equally worthy human inhabitants. In this episode three, I trekked across Wales in early April to the legendary RSPB reserve of Unis here, which lies on the Dovey Estuary just south of Snowdonia. Once home to Springwatch for several years, Unis here has an extraordinary blend of oak woodland, salt marsh, estuary and wetland, and I was privileged to have the company of manager David Anning as my guide. David has managed the land, wildlife and visitors for 14 years with spectacular success. And he also provided me with some useful pointers in the hope of ending my 20-year quest for one of Britain's rarest woodland birds. So come with me on a stunning spring day to explore the wonders of Celtic rainforest and a wildlife encounter I will treasure forever. And please stay tuned for our podcast postbag, listeners' sounds of the week, and a little survey we'd love you to get involved with. I've just arrived at the RSPB's Innisheer Reserve on the River Dovey, just south of Snowdonia, mid Wales, Midwest Wales. And I've driven up through central Wales this morning at the crack of dawn, before the crack of dawn. And it's, uh, it's mid April. But there's snow all over the hills and some of the mountain roads I found impassable. I almost got stuck. But I've arrived. Clear blue skies. Cold but sunny. In a beautiful woodland. Just appreciating a little few moments peace after a long car drive. And the birds. Chaffinches. Tits. Nuthatches. And I'm just off to meet some of the RSPB uh, wardens and managers here they're hopefully going to give me a bit of a guided tour so I'm really delighted I've never been here never been here in spring never been here at all 
and uh, I think there's a mix of lovely woodland, estuary, river and all sorts. So I'm very excited. Who knows what we'll find. Uh, but I would love to discover a lesser spotted woodpecker. It's been my quest for a few years and there are some here but I think they're extremely elusive so if we find one it'll be a really magical a magical occasion. And if we don't the quest goes on. They're very discreet, very elusive birds. Yeah, and this is pretty much one of the few places in the country where you stand a chance of seeing them, really. Mm. In the whole of Wales, you mean, or in the well, whole of Britain? Certainly in the whole of Wales, but increasingly the UK. Yeah, mm. we're, we're getting a lot of visitors who have travelled quite some way to see lesser spotted woodpecker, or they come here with a checklist of birds that they mm. want to see unless a spotted woodpecker is one of them. And you know, it's just a sad reflection of how unusual they've become, really. Yeah, so what's happened to them then? Nobody really knows for sure. Like, um, there seems to be issues with them um, fledging their young. And so they think it might be food shortages in midsummer. Yeah. Uh, because they rely a lot on large aerial insects at that time of year, you know, um, longhorn beetles and things like that. Uh, early, at early stages they rely on um, sort of caterpillars and um, insects like that and so the feeling is is that there's something wrong with the food chain that the, sort of the woods aren't producing enough food for them right. so the actual precise mechanism of why they're declining as they have done is is difficult to to work out but your know, food supply seems to be part of it right gosh so I, I would imagine being woodpeckers they sort of chip away at bark and drill in to get yeah. the lava but, but you're, you're, you're talking about sort of stuff that can be just gleaned off yeah so yeah there, there is a gleaning element and sometimes you do see them fly catching at the top of the canopy right uh, not not often well it's not often that you see lesser spot woodpeckers anyway um, because you know they're very quiet they're say very secretive they prefer to live at the very tops of trees mm-hmm. and usually there's just this window of opportunity from about late February through to early April where they start calling and marking territory and drumming where they suddenly become a little bit more obvious. I see. So we're right at the end of that period, do you think? Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me on a day like this. Um, Having had a few cold days, do you think that might have sort of delayed it, there? It might, it, it, it might sort of encourage them to, to call, but sometimes when you have a bit of bad weather and then you get a day like this, yes, I'll suddenly start. We might get something. Yeah, yeah. but they cover s- such big areas. This is the, the, the thing which is unusual about lesser spotted woodpeckers in that for a small bird, their territories are massive. And so there was a time when we were convinced that we had two territories on this part of the reserve. Yeah. And as we've spent more time watching them, we suddenly realised that we probably go, have only got one territory, but the birds will go from the river down at the bottom right to the woods behind and possibly into the wood so probably about 500 metres behind us. Oh, so they, they spread out like crazy. Oh, yeah. They're very yeah. thinly scattered. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. So it's become a running joke in the podcast that I go off to look for lesser spotted woodpeckers and all these sort of regularly seen spots and I never see them. So, yeah. so we, could, we could, uh, mm. could, could keep that joke going today. There's a very good chance of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a... Yeah. Because I think the other thing that we don't understand is that lesser spotted woodpeckers have obviously been here for an awfully long time. But when you actually go into the surrounding area, there's very few records of lesser spotted woodpecker. It's not; it doesn't seem to be a bird of the wider countryside. Right. Okay. So it's um, quite localised where it where it does well, exist. And quite it sort. seems to be, but the thing is, is that we can't quite put our finger on sort of what's going on really, because either 
there seems to be a small little hub of lesser spotted woodpeckers here, which are somehow sustaining themselves for decade after decade. Well, there must be a bigger population in this valley, yeah. but they're so difficult that people are just not seeing them. Well, let's go on to more optimistic things. Um, mm. I should introduce you. You are David Anning, and you're site manager of Innes here. Do you call Anis it Innes here? Innes here. Yes. Okay. Innes here is an RSPB reserve. How big is Innes here? So Innes here is 850 hectares, and I think probably what makes Innes here really special and why a lot of our visitors come year year in year out and love the place so much is just the variety that we have here uh obviously we're surrounded by deciduous woodland uh, yeah we're, we're looking out across this lovely sort of you called it wet woodland i, I see reed beds and then alders yes so the wet woodlands is probably the strip of alders alongside the river oh i see yeah, like uh, that's okay, just yeah. a small fragment of the wet woodland that we have right and so, yeah, so, so we have oak woodland, we have wet woodland. Mm. Um, and here in front of us, we've obviously got a reed bed and a fen habitat. Uh, the hill that we're looking at in the distance, uh, that's ours as well. So oh, really? Got, OK, so you've got these... Cra- yeah, so beyond the, for the, for the listeners, beyond the reed beds and the, and the alders and, the, and the, the woodland, there is a road, obviously. And then there's three little peaks, well, three craggy peaks. Yes. One wooded, two fairly sort of... Yes. Of open, aren't they? Yeah. So, so, so we own the, the, the big one in front of us, right. which is a mixture of uh, scrub and bracken, uh, acid grassland and heathland. Uh, but we also own blocks of woodland and another hillside further towards McCuntleth to the north as well. Yeah, okay. And so um, over time, you know, we've increased. Like uh, initially, we actually sort of um, bought the first part of the reserve in 1969 and we opened in 1970. Um, and then over the years we've actually increased and so we've increased by buying mountain land but we've also increased a lot by buying uh, lowland wet grassland uh, and that's primarily for lapwings, red shank and wintering green and white fronted geese. It's early April, it's a little bit of a late spring this spring to be honest, there's a few species that we would have expected in by now which have yet to come. Do you think that cold blast then has just held everything back? It seems to have, yeah, yes. Yeah. Like the, the, the northerly airflows have sort of slowed things sort of down a lot. And so the black caps and the chiff chaffs have made it in on time and they're in really good numbers. Uh, swallows and sand martins are passing through quite regularly. We should see uh, quite a few today. Uh, pie flycatchers have made it. Oh, like, they're here, are they already? Yes, yeah, uh, and usually yeah. pie flycatcher, unlike everything else, has in fact arrived early. Oh, right. uh, why, why they decided this year that they're going to beat everybody else, I, I don't know. It's but so curious how, they, it is. how all these different species work out their timing. So. Yeah, but what, you, what we're finding is that a lot of these summer migrants, willow warbler, garden warbler, uh, wood warbler, um, sort of the southeast is getting predominantly drier and sort of, um, the densities of these birds aren't what they were. Southeast of UK, of, of the UK. Yeah, yeah, okay. So things like willow warbler, for example, which you know, was pretty much everywhere, you know, is getting harder and harder to find in the southeast. Mm. Whereas in Wales, yeah, like the, the numbers are still in decline, but the decline is nowhere near as steep. And I think it's a matter of you know, Wales having this really rich, wet climate, and the southeast getting drier and drier and drier, which is obviously an effect. Dryness means less insect life. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Okay. Like uh, because certainly. Here, like uh, the woodlands are very distinct. Uh, we have what uh, we call the Celtic rainforest yeah. uh, because we've got obviously really good air quality, 
because the weather systems come straight in off the Atlantic. Really high levels of rainfall. And you look at our woods, um, pretty much all around us, all the trees are covered in lichens, mosses. That's a sign ferns, of clean air. Yeah, the clean air and a really wet climate. Mm. And when you actually sort of go further into the country, across uh, the Welsh border, you suddenly realise that you know, things like mosses and lichens suddenly get really sort of, you know, sort of far more restricted. Yeah. And that's a mixture of yeah, a drier climate and also higher levels of pollution. Mm. And so this Celtic rainforest um, is a very scarce habitat globally. Um, Wales, southwest England, west coast of Scotland, Ireland, um, parts of Portugal, uh, places like Japan, Korea, uh, Chile. Okay, so they all have the similar sort of... Yes, um, northwest America, basically where you've got sort of a, a, a coastal band of forest next to a big expanse of water where you generate that really wet climate okay certainly when we look at lower plants like we talk about rare birds but that pales into insignificance about when we talk about rare lichens for example you might have lichens which their entire global population might be confined to two trees oh, really? yeah. and that might be here it might be here oh, yeah. wow. and so yes like a, you know, Wales is incredibly cool. important and um there's a lot more attention going to the actual you know, importance of these woodlands and rather than actually thinking of Welsh woodlands being good for red kites and pie fly catchers and red starts, we're now thinking, well, actually, these woodlands, you know, sort of the actual importance of them is at a very much smaller scale. Yeah. You know, these very steep, humid sort of ravines. Um, so can have their own little tiny ecosystems. And definitely, things. definitely. Yeah, how yeah. exciting. So yeah. we were actually going to be walking in rainforest today. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah, so looking out from the car park, we've got an amazing view. Uh, we've got the mountains in the background, which are full of um, heathland and woodland. And this is, is this, this is a, st- a stagnant pool, or is there water flowing into it? There's, there is a water flow going through it. Mm. Like uh, when the RSPB bought this, uh, um, probably about 20 or 30 years ago, it was just grazed sheep fields. Uh, this down here? Right? Yes, oh, yes. That's astonishing. So yeah, it, it was just a, there was a, a ditch running through the middle of it and it was just grass. And that's it was, extraordinary. Yeah. I can't, yeah. So mm. that's in 20 years it's transformed into this yes. more glorious golden reed bed yeah. with willows and alders. And yeah, so what we did was we put a sluice at one end and just backed water up. So well, recently we've actually upgraded the sluice so we can actually hold more water back and also to release more water when we need to and the hope is to make, is to make a far more dynamic wetland and so hopefully in the, ne- in the next couple of weeks we'll see the arrival the arrival of highland cattle here uh, so currently you know it was sheep grazed and then we moved it over to horse and pony grazing and uh, we've now decided to actually introduce an element of cattle grazing as well and that'll make the um, the surrounding grassland more tussocky and so the hope is is that in the winter we can flood it entirely, so it'd be like a sheet of water. Yeah. And in the field there's slightly higher hummocks with trees growing in, and they'll become almost like islands. Yeah. And then in the spring we can drop the water levels a bit, uh, allow the highland cattle to go on, and maybe a few ponies, and they'll graze it more like a fen. And so hopefully a lot of the um, fen plants like meadow sweets, uh, yellow iris, uh, purple loose strife will expand from the wet patches where they currently are over a bigger area. I see. And Just need to make it wetter. For exactly. Yeah. And God, start, how exciting. Yeah. That's really 
very thrilling that you're yeah. sort of landscaping the uh, and exactly. you can control it to yeah. such a degree. Yeah, and with that we'll take down a lot of the fences and yeah. so it'll be more free-ranging grazing and hopefully going up into the woodlands beyond as well, an open and dynamic habitat. And a lot of the wetland um, species that we're trying to encourage, uh, they don't like stable wetland features. A lot of wetland species respond to change. Uh, they're like ephemeral right. habitats, sudden flooding, changes in water levels, areas being opened up. Oh, so the static is not good for... Static what, what is... Sort of, are you talking about plants here? Uh, plants, about... invertebrates, yeah. uh, quite a few bird species, yeah. And that was just sheep fields with a ditch running through the middle exactly. 20 years ago. Yeah. It's, it, it, yeah. well, it, it's amazing what you can do. Heartening that you can restore things, and mm. there's obviously, you know, as you say, plenty more yeah. Yeah. to go, but you, you lead and... Uh, yeah, we'll go that way. Okay, great. Because... We've screwed the gate shut. <laughs> and also, if we go this way, there's a better chance of seeing a lesser spot woodpecker. Oh, excellent. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple of trees in that field which they really do love drumming on. So, excitement levels will rise. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Ah. Yeah, that's a cool tip. Right, cool. I'm just sorry. It's nice to be someone who knows their stuff because I can t- I can dust dust my skills down a bit. And... Yeah, like uh, that one was calling pretty well actually. It sounded yeah. a little bit great titty like for for a moment. Yeah. But there is a great tit calling over there. Yeah, it's a bit like a a squeaky bicycle pump. Classically, people say it calls teacher, teacher, teacher. But the number of people who I know who have heard it and go. No, it doesn't. <laughs> that, so the, but the squeaky bicycle pump seems to do it for everybody. That's a good one. That's <laughs> yes. a good one to remember. Because a lot of listeners like to try and learn birdsong as we go along with these things. And uh, mm. it's finding new ways of simplifying the... Yeah, like, a, like a, I think learning birdsong is... Mnemonics, whatever they call them, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit like riding a bike and that you just have to go out there and do it. Yeah, um, yeah. Like... That's really interesting. So you, you've got to put the hours in if you want to learn birdsong. But it is so such a it's such a delightful thing to to know. It is, yeah. yeah like it, it really adds a lot to you know any walk, and you know it becomes it gets to the point where it's a bit like listening to the radio in the background, in that you're not aware that you're listening, but when there's something interesting, you, your ears prick up and you go, oh, what was that? And bird calls yeah. are exactly the same. And you know, I, I drive my my wife crazy, and that would be sort of you know, in the garden, and she'll be asking me something. And I go, you know what? I'm sure that was a crossbill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sort of bubbling call is a nuthatch. Sort of yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Because they've got lots and lots of different calls. I f- I'm very. I find that quite confusing. Uh, yeah. Nuthatch. Sort of is... What is that? What is that? Oh, it's a nice it's a nuthatch, which is a lovely bird. But yeah. Yeah, like, you're hoping for something slightly more. I think one of the things about nuthatches is that they give a call which is very similar to a lesser spotted woodpecker. Oh, okay, right. And so the times we've got, oh, oh, no, it's a, <laughs> that's just a nuthatch, that one. Just a nuthatch, yeah. Yes, but, yeah, like a, yeah, like, I think with nuthatches and great tits, they always amaze me in that I've been listening to bird calls for 25, 30 years, and every year I'll hear a great tit or nuthatch give a call that I've never heard before. And sometimes I can actually guess, oh yeah, I think that's just a great tip, calling funnily. But sometimes I'm actually there trying to find it, thinking, well, what is this bird? Yeah. I've never heard anything like this. And you know, quite often it's, oh, it's a great tip. <laughs> and you 
stand and look at it for a few moments and thinking, well, why are you calling like this where no other grates it? Yeah, <laughs> yes, has invented... ever called like this ever before. <laughs> invented its own little phrase. Yes. Yeah. So we're walking down a sort of little track, a little road lane, and mm. so, um, both sides flanked by these sto- uh, dry stone walls, but very, very flat, mm. slaty type stone walls, these, aren't they? Yeah, like a. They were built for, you know, Anasir originally was uh, a pleasure ground for the Anasir Hall, which is now a Michelin star restaurant and hotel. And uh, uh, Anasir was very much sort of set out as a place for the gentlemen and ladies to come and walk and enjoy themselves or, uh, to, go, right. or to go out onto okay. the estuary and do a bit of shooting. And so we got the, a lot of these lovely old features of the dry stone walls. So this tree, I'm looking at a dead tree beside... a. We're sort of in a in a grove of oaks, mm. really, aren't we? But this tree looks like it's been something's been having a go at it. Yeah, so it's it's got some sort of uh, heart rot to it, and obviously the woodpeckers have found that and have sort of taken full advantage because they've sort of gouged out various sort of chunks of it and they've done sort of, they've also nested in it as as well. Oh, and yeah. it's always a, a bit of a dilemma because we're always balancing visitor safety and retaining deadwood because you know in a wood like this deadwood is incre- incredibly and important standing deadwood like that. and standing yeah. deadwood is like gold it really yeah. is and so uh, it always seems to be sort of you know, bad luck in that when we get a really nice piece of deadwood quite often it happens to be right next to a visitor path and we have to have this balancing act against you know around what is safe and what is ecologically the right thing to do and so probably around the back there'll be a little plastic tag where we've tagged it and uh, our wardens will assess it sort of, um, regularly to make sure its status oh, hasn't gosh, changed. That's a really tricky and rather sad. Yes, thing, but, uh, yes, but you know it needs to be done because we have to make yeah. sure that people are safe. But sure. at the same time, you know the, the simple thing would be just to get a chainsaw and take it down. But that ecologically, that all, all those larvae in there, exactly. and all the. All the um, mm. I mean, presumably that's great spotted woodpecker work. Yes, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah the, 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 the hole's way too big. Uh, for lesser spotted and uh, you know, uh, and lesser spotted tends to be sort of they prefer dead twigs right at the top right at the right, top okay, which may, which you know, makes them yeah, very difficult to find yeah. right we're about to meet the newest members of our team <laughs> oh wow yes introduce these two there are two of them there's more oh, yeah, there's three of them yeah. so they're Welsh whites uh, Hereford crosses Beautiful cattle um, with quite substantial horns. Yeah. And these are just allowed to roam freely through the woodland. Well, the this gates. part of the woodland, like yeah. a. Oh, I see the third one. He's brown, so, the yes, third so one, that's yeah. probably got a bit more hair for yeah, than the others. Very familiar with that. Yeah. Lovely, they've got a sort of grey blue white coat, or well, this one mm. in front of us does. It's more of a whitey coat. I think that's yeah. just been rolling around. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, when he's... they arrived, they were a lot cleaner. It's <laughs> <laughs> so obviously getting getting down to getting to grips with the land here. But, uh... Yeah. This woodland here has got an interesting history. Uh, we call it railway wood because the railway cuts through it, which goes from Macuntliff to uh, Aberystwyth. And uh, when the RSPP bought it, it was heavily grazed by sheep. And. Uh, and what you sort of had was that you had lots of bluebells in the spring, uh, but in the winter, you know, there was sort of a silage feeding, uh, heavy, you know, large numbers of sheep, and it was pretty much sort of a you know, trampled bear. Mm. And 
probably about 25 years ago, I, you know, we, we changed the management. The, the, the grazier uh, moved on. And we decided that sort of across all of our woodlands, we'd relax grazing to allow the next cohort of regeneration. The regeneration has happened in part, but what we've found is that as the soils are quite nutrient rich with all the grazing, uh, the bramble has really come in. I see. So they love the all the dung and the silage exactly. and stuff that's in yeah. the soil, the nitrogen. Uh, yeah. yeah, and also just nitrogen deposition from the atmosphere. Mm. So, uh, you know, and the, the lack of hard winters, all in bramble's favour. And so we decided, well, let's experiment with animals which are probably more willing to eat bramble. And so we've decided these sort of cattle are a good way forward. It's not so much that they'll eat it, it's just the process of them rooting around for things that they do want to eat, uproots a bramble and just knocks it around a little bit. And uh, these three animals have been in this wood now for about six weeks. And yeah, uh, and already you can see that there's areas where uh, the ponies and our volunteers could never really make much of an impact with, and already, you know, they're They're doing a good job already. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's been really interesting. And the other reason why we wanted to do this is that one of the species we're trying to encourage is the pied flycatcher, which is, you know, Wales has the majority of the UK population of yeah. pied flycatchers. It loves these the Celtic rainforests. Um, it likes grazed woodlands with a closed canopy. And I say that now because there is one singing, actually, or calling. Yeah, it's a very urgent little sort of call which is happening down at the bottom of the wood. Very repetitive. Deep, deep, deep. Okay, I'll listen out for him and see if I can. If, but, uh, if you wander down there. Yeah, yeah, sure. We can, I'm sure we'll. Uh, yeah. It's always the same. As soon as you point out these birds, they, 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 they <laughs> yeah. insist on, stop sitting, uh, yeah. on stopping to sing. Just... Oh, there he is. He's just flown over to Ivy Buck. In fact, yeah, yeah, there's a nest box at the bottom of that ivy covered tree. Oh, I and see. He's, that, and he's yeah. having a look at it. In fact, he's just gone into it. Ah, okay. So do the males come back first and then... Yeah, like we've got females back as well, but the males usually are a few days uh, earlier. Because the song is... I, I, I do know the song, but I don't know the calls. And... There's, there he is. I see that, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, amazing shines. Yeah. shines in the... Yeah, beautiful bird. So five, five flycatchers, exactly as its name suggests. It's black and white, flying off into the trees now yes. oh, he did a good job he, he's yes he really caught the light there mm. a big white breast and yeah. yes uh, like a licorice all sort but even tastier <laughs> <laughs> is that something coming through there just a flash of white here oh yeah there they are yeah, there's two another two it's yeah two males yeah. yeah yeah so this is a good sign because yeah like uh so with our monitoring we know that in this wood and the pie fly catchers um haven't been doing particularly well on this part of the wood oh, okay and uh, a, a lot of the problem seems to be nest predation and we're not entirely sure what's doing it we think that uh, we're having problems with weasels oh really yeah You've got a weasel problem here yeah. yes which is a bit yeah. of an unusual one and there's not they can get through that little tiny hole exactly they? yeah just here we're looking out so we're, we're in the woodland here and we're on a sort of ridge aren't we is this a ridge running through the reserve yes well yeah. Anis here well Anis is island and here is long so long, long island. island okay so we're um, on the island yep yeah. so in this direction we are looking which direction are we so we're looking like uh northwest northwest to um and this is the main dovey estuary yeah so. that's the main dovey estuary and so uh, over to the left is Abadavi, um, and then oh, yes. upstream, um, 
is the town of McCuntliffe. And then, you know, in front of us are the, is the, the Tarrens. The Tarrens? Yes. So that's the sort of southern Snowdonia, would you say? Or is it more, yeah, southern northern Sno- Cambrian? So. <laughs> uh, so, southern Snowdonia. Yeah. Tarrens. And okay, so the Cadavidwys foothills, really. Oh, right, OK. Yeah. So we can see a bit of water in the distance, and in between salt marsh yes salt that? marsh yeah. And, yeah. and sort of a bit of woodland mm. sort of wet woodland it's a lovely inviting looking scene it with, is with it the, is the hills behind yeah it's, it's just this bank here so we've kind of come into a, a, an open area having walked mm. through these lovely oak woods and now we're in a sort of a glade of rushes really and mm. but there's a there's a sort of raised bank around around the whole thing mm. really is, is that man-made or is that no, just... No, it's not. No, it's, it's just natural. Okay. Yeah, so it, like, it, like a sort of hill fort. We're almost in the sort of the, the top of a hill fort. Yeah. Actually, it's, this is a natural <laughs> sort of... It's funny you should say that. We do have a hill fort, which oh, I'll show okay. you. Oh, nice. Yeah, I like, always uh, like to get a hill fort on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, like it shows a lot of an interesting history. So people have lived here for, obviously, for thousands of years then. Oh, it's yeah. It's been, been a useful rising up above the marshes. And there's some bluebells out. Yes. You're, you're early here. Is that early? Yeah, we always get a few starting. Like a yeah, that's the most I've seen so far. I've seen one or two in stray bits of woodland, but that's... Yeah. <laughs> so we've just got a little patch of bluebell wood here on the end of your, of your island. The sort of raucous cry. Is that Jay? That's Jay, yes. Yeah. OK, so uh, this is just lovely. There's re- the, so the oaks here are incredibly sort of gnarled and... Yeah, knotted and uh, very beautiful. Kind of almost not sort of grand oaks that you, you people yes. might be used to if you go to Windsor Great Park or somewhere like that. But mm. this is the, the effects of weathering and clinging, yes. clinging to the edge of the Atlantic. You can see the structure of them in that the canopies have had a lot of room to grow. Yeah, I get these big, broad canopies. And in other parts of the woods, the trees are closer together and it's... So uh, you don't get these big broad canopies and the mm. trees aren't as structurally as interesting. So now we're looking out. We sort of it's great, it's almost we've come to the sort of point of the of the island as it were, and we're looking out. Yeah. The so, Dovey estuary then. But, so this is the Dovey estuary with a river Dovey flowing through it. Um, so you can see the actual so so in front of us a large sort of dark wooden bridge. Yes. And that's like a, a Dovey Junction, where the train line from Shrewsbury gets to that point and then splits. So one arm of the sort of railway goes northward along the coast to Aberdovey and Tarin, then up to Petheli. And then the southern arm loops around behind us and heads to Aberystwyth. OK, so, you, so we're sort of leaving, we're coming to right to the edge of the wood now, and it's just a little promontory above the... Yeah. Would you call this salt marsh, grazing marsh? Yes, salt of? marsh, yes. And yeah, it's an important habitat for wintering green and white-fronted geese and also for uh, red shank. Um, and so the breeding popula- population of red shank you know, is pretty much the, the, the largest population that we have in Wales. And with the green and white-fronted geese, uh, currently sort of, uh, the wintering population is about 22 birds. And we're pretty much uh, one of two wintering sites in the entirety of England and Wales. Gosh, so the, they don't, there's not that many Greenland white front, is it? No, no, not at all. But Wales has always had this small population which has been in the Dubby, and it's been up to about 250 birds historically. Mm. Um, but what we're finding is that the population of birds... Oh, there's a red kite. Oh, yeah. oh yes. Drifting over yeah. against the blue sky. 
absolutely effortless. Terrific. Yeah. Yeah, green and white fender geese are like the, the, the super athletes of the bird world um, in that. So the, the birds which we're wintering here, they left at the weekend. Oh, so I've just missed them. You just missed them. Oh, okay. Uh, but, you know, they're very uh, skittish. And, yeah. and so from here, they'll fly within 24 hours up to Iceland, um, pretty much in a straight line. Mm-hmm. And then they'll be in Iceland for six weeks, fattening up. And then they'll do another jump to the west coast of Greenland, which is almost as far again. And uh, so when they get there sort of, uh, in you know, May, June time, uh, the ice is, sort of, well, the, the snow is thawing and they'll have a very short breeding season mm. and then they'll do the return jump back to Iceland and then down to here. But the problem is, is that with Arctic weather systems, there's something called the Mid-Atlantic Oscillation, which affects the climate in Greenland and it switches every 20 years or so. And at the moment, the oscillation is such that the spring snowfall is quite heavy and that means that the breeding sort of season is very short and they're less... And so until climate conditions in Greenland change, which with climate change is looking more and more doubtful, yeah, uh, yeah we'll, continue, we'll continue to struggle uh, to, to actually to see a, a recovery in that population. Yeah. But you know, the thing is, the, the one thing that I can do as a site manager is to make sure that those birds leave the estuary as fat as they can. Yeah. Uh, the other side of the bridge in the distance... Um, you might be able to make out some telegraph poles or what look like telegraph poles. And uh, that's yes. the uh, nesting platforms for the Dovey Osprey project. Oh, really? Well, those little... Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That one's got a grey box at the bottom. Yes, OK. That's the, those are the um, ospreys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. And they're successfully nesting here now, are they? Oh, yeah, for years, yes. Oh, OK. Didn't they? They, were, they fish here and do they fish up in the leans? Uh, uh, largely the, up and down the estuary. Like, right. uh, they, they, they occasionally do a bit of a wander, but the majority of their fishing is, yeah, just in the estuary. They're not back yet, though? Yeah, they are, are back, they are? yes. Oh, OK. Like, so. Uh, so what you tend to have is that you have the established pair mm. and then you've got various birds coming in, sort of... Um, Trying their hand. Yeah, trying their <laughs> luck. Yeah, the, the, the established pair are back and they're chasing off various intruders. It'd be like, it wouldn't surprise yeah. me if you just see them flying over. Like, yeah, quite, okay. quite often there's various sticks sticking out of the salt marsh. Yeah. Sometimes they're just sat on, on one of those, just yeah. digesting, really. So they're catching the, the trout largely, are they? Is there anything uh, else in there? What they... what they tend to catch more than anything else is mullet. Ah, right, okay. Grey mullet, yeah. Yeah, and so, but the, you know, I, the, the W Osprey project, they, they spend a lot of time identifying the various fishes that uh, are being caught. And, yeah, yeah uh, interesting. Over the years, yeah, they, they've caught all sorts of things. You know, the sort of you know, fish I've never even heard of. So. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so the other thing which is quite interesting here is this field here in front of us. And yeah, so this, this is a sort of, how would you describe this? It's much more rushy and it's drier. There's dead tree, there's... It's quite, it's quite bare. Yeah. Does this fl- I presume it does flood here. Yeah, so this is part of a managed realignment project. And yeah. so w- what we have is that um, right, right the way up and down the estuary, uh, people have done um, land improvements over the, uh, over the years. They've built embankments, drained the land behind the embankment to create farmland. I see. And so what has happened is that the tide is always... Sort of um, restricted by these flood banks, and with uh, climate change and increased sea levels, uh, the salt marsh is being squeezed between these flood banks and the actual estuary, and so the salt marsh is getting smaller and smaller in extent. 
and we're losing some of the upper salt marsh habitats which are quite important for uh, for uh, plants and insects and so this is an attempt for us actually moving the salt marsh back the sort of pr- pressure valve release exactly yeah. so we've taken a, cu- a, a couple of scoops in the flood bank either side of that which sort of which is in front uh, of us which oh, is covering trees okay that's yes that's the bank there so yeah i got you yeah. so there is the, the, there's some of the banks still there exactly yeah, yeah. So, so just between the bushes yeah. there there's a big chunk which has been taken out and so the sea's been sort of allowed in there and it just gives us the sea somewhere to move uh, interesting yeah again part of your dynamic it's really exciting to see landscape mm. being sort of re- yeah. restored like that or rewilded yeah the that, noise of these geese i know so they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're really they really noisy. do make a get a din a din yeah, there's just like a hubbub on the other side of this uh, mm. of the of the island here. Yeah, but right up and down the estuary, you know, a lot of the flood banks that we have are getting to the end of their useful lives. Right. And we know that you know government resources can't maintain all of them indefinitely. No. And certainly with climate change and sea level rise, you know, um, it's not possible to actually invest the money that is needed to keep the sea out. And so we know very well that up and down the estuary and right around the way around the country, there's going to have to be areas which are where the sea's allowed into. And, yeah, there's quite a few places on the reserve where that we'll be having discussions about, well, OK, which flood bank do we take down to allow the sea in? So now we're looking out over the... Mm. the sort of, what do you call these scrapes or what do you call these yeah, things? Yeah, pools. Pools, pools. <laughs> yeah. They're covered in uh, kind of geese. geese. Yes. Well, there's a couple of little bits out there. Uh, oh, yes, I see them. There's Willow Warbler singing in front of us. There's also a lapwing display. Yeah. Yeah, on the two little islands over there, on the, on the far one, there's a lapwing stood there. Yes, I see him. Yeah. There was one displaying a second ago. A great blackback gull. It is. It, it, like uh, over the years, they've learned how to predate the Canter goose nests. Oh, okay. So they keep a they yeah. keep a mid- So they're flying around having a good yeah. look. Scanning. Like, uh, yeah. It might well be a species that actually starts nesting here because they're spending more and more time here. But as you can see it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, this is, I mean, it's a yeah, massive bird. It's as big as the buzzard, isn't it? It's a, it's not, so sometimes you see it flying off with an egg. So there's, yeah, so it's a huge bird. It's only about 20 feet off the ground, just... There's a juvenile coming in as well. Oh, yeah, I see it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we've got a lovely cream-coloured farmhouse. Yes, so this is Anis Edwin, and uh, this is where it all started, uh, really. But this uh, was the home of Bill Condry, um, sort of conservationist and natural history writer. And um, when he lived here, he was the tenant of the owner of Anisir Hall, uh, who was a guy called uh, Hugh, uh, Hubert uh, Mappin. And uh, Bill obviously was very keen on nature conservation, and um, Hubert Mappin was also you know, very sympathetic. And um, together they were talking about the idea of turning Anisir into a nature reserve. And uh, R.S. Thomas, the poet, was also quite influential oh, yes. as well because he lived in the village and he also supported this as well. But unfortunately, Hubert Mappin died prematurely and the, the, the negotiations stalled. 
and um, his late and sort of, um, sort of his late wife took over the negotiations, and um, so sort of, uh, uh, Mrs. Mappin was far less sure about nature conservation and leaving it in the hands of the RSPB, who at the time was quite who, who was quite interested in, in buying this. Several months passed, and then one night there was a knock on Bill's door, and at the door was Mrs. Mappin, and she had a, a large parcel under her hand. And in this parcel was a watercolour that she painted. And she goes, Bill, this reserve that you want to create, is it going to look like this? And she basically revealed this watercolour, which was pretty much the view that we saw, you know, a few minutes ago. Or the river, the pools, the woodland. And Bill goes, this is exactly what it's going to be like. And so she said, yes. Oh, oh, and that's so, sweet. yeah, yeah. And, and, and do people, who lives in Anisadwin? Uh, so, uh, Bill's wife, uh, uh, Penny, still lives there, and so yeah, she's in her nineties, and and, and she, you know she's lived a here. Glorious place to live. Yeah, yeah. So she's lived that's here for longer than the RSPB's actually had the reserve. Yeah, it's, it's a special story, and uh, yeah, yeah like it, it feels like a, a degree of responsibility because I'm, I'm the third ever. Sorry. I'll, or head warden or oh, site really? manager, so, yeah, okay. and yeah. so yeah, there hasn't been that many of us, but yeah, it puts up a degree of pressure. There, so, yeah, <laughs> I mustn't muck it up. We're going to go and have some lunch. It's quite late now, and I'm going to go to where David suggested there might just be some lesser spotted woodpeckers. So I'm in a place where they exist. We know they're here, and they've been seen this year. It's one of those endless frustrations. There's a long... Quite long. Hammering. Some woodpecker action. When you come to an area that hasn't been constantly manipulated or made productive for food at, co- at all costs, then you can really get a sense of wildlife and wildness. So, going to peak. There's a spotted woodpecker territory now. Go through this gate. Blue tit. We go and sit under some oak trees here. Just see what turns up in the next hour or so. Get a good little spot to. Oh, Jay came right out from underneath me. Some wood pigeons. So no one's been around for a while. Up in the trees here. So I'm going to sit myself down, just relax. Some interesting creatures. All the birds just coming in, flying around me. Chiff chaff, black cap, robins, dunnocks. Not hatch there. Weep, 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 weep. 
What's that then? It's really long drawn out. I don't know. Is that less a spotted woodpecker? I haven't listened to the calls lately. Let's get a bit closer. So we need a professional here. I think that's a less spotted woodpecker. feeling high pitched rapid I'm prepared to be persuaded otherwise I think that's less a spotted whooping Where is it? Where is it there? Oh, my blood can get in my ears. It's weird because I just can't get confirmation. I can't see. And I can't get closer. I'm hemmed in by barbed wire here. Okay, I see a bird high up in a tree now. So that might have been 
might have been. I did see, did see one, a woodpecker up there. It was so fleeting I couldn't get my binoculars on it in time. Everything is conjecture. A squirrel up there, looking into some really tall oaks. I can definitely get confirmation by playing that back to David. I think I've got enough recording there. I sort of feel it's been such a long quest. So many years. Don't know what to feel. It's such a small bird and I really want to see it to confirm. I'm looking out across salt marshes to the water, the River Dovey as it flows out across mud flats. The river's quite low at the moment, low tide. There are a couple of great white egrets out there. Big yellow beaks, white bodies, tall, like sentries. Noisy Canada geese. One or two great black-backed gulls scooching up and down the river. And the mountains behind, the tarrens. The snow's melted on them now. It was all, they were all covered in snow earlier with blocks of forestry and then pockets of or wider sort of blankets of native forest. And there's almost no wind. It's very benign. A couple of pigeons going over. I could sit here for quite a while, but I've got a two and a half hour car journey back home now. So reluctantly, I'd better get on with that. I'm sure you can hear the spring, hear the reluctance in my voice. I'm looking at willows with the leaves coming out, oaks with no sign of any leaves. We're right on the cusp of glorious awakening of spring. Migrants are here, birds are nesting, flowers are out, bees are buzzing, and it only just gets better and better and better. Thanks for joining me here at Ennis here. A huge thank you to David Anning for giving me all his time and knowledge. Well, now I'm back in the studio and it was a long journey home, but I rushed home because I was desperate to find out about my recording. And without any further ado, I edited that little bit and sent it off to David Anning, who was who was my host for the day there. And Unbelievably, he got back to say it was a lesser spotted woodpecker, or two even, and that they hadn't had many sightings or even soundings of them this year. So I was really, really lucky. And I'm very, very grateful to David for showing me around in the first place, but also for pointing out the spots to sit where they might turn up. So it's a, it's really, it's a wonderful sight on us here. And I should also apologise to David for not taking his, his advice all the way through on how to say Anis here. So sorry about my Welsh pronunciations. It's Anis here, not Innis here. Because I actually, I've been looking for lesser spotted woodpeckers for such a long time and I really never, never thought I'd actually see one. So happy days. It was really great. And to share this joyful moment, um, my, my fellow podcasters, Hannah and Jack, are in the studio and we've got some sounds of the week and the usual podcast post bag. But I just want to share my joy at finding a lesser spotted woodpecker. It's 
weirdly an emotional moment. I'm so pleased for you. I could hear when in that recording you're going, please, it might be. <laughs> and you sort of, you don't want to believe that it could be. You're so like, oh, don't break my heart. It's so nice to know that it definitely yeah, was. It's, thank you. It's really good. And I mean, some people might go, oh, well, it's just a small sparrow-sized woodpecker and of no great consequence. It's not the most dramatic looking or dramatic sounding of birds. But actually... I've sort of chronicled for the last 25, 30 years, lots of declines of species. And I have explored many places where they should be. And it's been a sort of painful journey of loss, really. And so actually finally to see one and to confirm that they're still around is kind of an important, important moment. And uh, yeah, it's, and it's a very distinctive sound. So I'm going to listen out for it in some of the haunts where they where they're supposed to be where I've never found them and maybe maybe they'll they'll turn up again. I was going to ask you about the sound actually because you could sort of tell that it was something special because it was higher and I was wondering how is it why is it higher is it higher because they're smaller or I think they're hammering on slice because so I, this is a bit of guesswork but the greater the great spotted woodpecker which everyone's familiar with and visits gardens is quite common. I think it hammers on quite large tree trunks, whereas the, the lesser tends to head up higher in the canopy and so is hammering perhaps on smaller with less resonance. It's also hammers much faster, so it's a much more rapid rapid sound and for longer. So it's kind of sort of extended burst of machine gun fire rather than the sort of very short bursts that the, the grate does. Yeah, so... Um, I don't know. I, I would... Yeah, it, it, actually caught on tape is... This, I think it's the sound of the that's a spot, the call as well, which I didn't hear at the time. But um, maybe we could just pick that out again briefly here. So I didn't pick that up with my own ears at the time. It's a useful job of sound recording. I can uh, come in here with a... A little tail I have. A woodpecker tail. Oh, it's a woodpecker tail. Now, me and Fergus, we got the chance to pop out the other day. We actually met. We met. We met face to face. It was bizarre. Jack has legs. It's very weird. We were recording an episode that's uh, coming out later this series. And, uh, well, I don't want to spoil too much, but we we were out somewhere. There's a lot of birds, a lot of bird song and uh, a lot of nature around us. And, uh, I thought we had caught a woodpecker. And I thought, oh, maybe this is it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear one. Um, we could hear this tapping. I was like, oh, could it be? Until, kind of to my sadness, Fergus then tells me uh, it's probably just the wind blowing a willow next to me. <laughs> it was a creak. <laughs> it was a creaking willow, but actually it was a more interesting sound, I think. It was a brilliant, evocative sound. It did sound a bit like a woodpecker, but I think I'm glad we've got that on tape because we got a lot of exciting sounds on tape. We've even got the sound, without again, without giving too much away, of a slithering snake, which I think is going to be quite special. I'm looking forward to hearing that. We both got very quiet at that point. Yeah, <laughs> you hear a slight sliver and we suddenly go quiet. <laughs> there are a lot of snakes. So that's something to look forward to uh, when Jack and I went off to a mysterious marshland for uh, a whole day of really exciting springtime adventures. Loads of great things happened. But back to this week, we've had lots of sounds of the week sent in by listeners. We're going to do just one this week. I think, Hannah, you have it for us. 
Yes. So this week's Sound of the Week is from California, sent in by Nicola Pitchford in San Rafael. She says, yesterday was a state holiday in California. The weather was gorgeous. So I went for a long run in Point Reyes National Seashore. The attached sound recording is of a mass of red-winged blackbirds, which gather seasonally in the reedy marshlands here. You can hear the wind sighing in the redwoods as the ambient background to this recording of the blackbirds' strange electric cries. I love that so much. It sounds like our blackbirds, but if they were like made of tin, little robot blackbird. <laughs> Excellent. I like that. And it's so nice that we're having so many from America. Yeah, from all over. I mean, really great. This has been a, a, a real education for, well, for, for me in particular, I, I don't know these bird songs. And um, it's quite nice to have that blend of our own spring and people sending in the sounds of their dawn choruses and birds from all around the world. And we've got more coming in. And we've got some from the UK too. So listen out next week for some more of those. Well, that's about it for this podcast post bag. Um, I just have to say that we are doing a little survey for listeners. And you can find the description and the link to enter this survey. Just find a little bit more about what you like listening to. Um, It's in the description. And if you fill in the survey, you'll be entered into a prize draw. And I think there's £100 gift cards for those who get lucky enough to pick, be picked out. You can find the terms and conditions for this by following the link. So good luck. And please, please do, if you get the time, it's always useful to find out a bit more about the audience. We can make our podcast all the better. But I hope you've enjoyed this one. It was a total thrill to make and a really special time. And of course, it's really nice to share this with you and also my studio fellows, Jack and Hannah. But for now, it's goodbye from the Country File podcast. Please do leave reviews and feedback for us wherever you can. It's a huge, huge help. But we'll see you next week. For now, goodbye. Goodbye.